Welcome back to CFO Weekly, where we're talking with financial leaders about how to build efficiency in their teams, create time for strategy, and ultimately get results with your host, Megan Weiss. Let's jump right in. Today, my guest is Roy Austin. In 2007, Roy founded Rockwell Business Solutions, LLC, to provide coaching, mentoring, and seminars for small businesses. His passion is helping small business owners achieve their vision and potential to advance their business to the next level. Roy is the author of The Alligator Business Solution, Small Business Competitive Advantage. The book is a user manual for small businesses and covers all major business functions an owner must manage. Roy's experience, education, and community service provide a wealth of information for his readers and clients. Prior to branching out on his own, Roy served as the CFO for DJ Powers, Inc., a third-party logistics provider from 2002 to 2009. Roy also served as a controller for Savannah Manufacturing, an aseptic drink manufacturer, and spent 29 years with Eastman Chemical Company in various accounting, sales forecasting, and market research assignments. Roy earned a BA in economics with a minor in math from Bethany College in West Virginia and an MBA in marketing with a minor in management from Michigan State University. Roy is a Vietnam veteran and has earned three bronze stars and two Army commendation medals. Roy, thank you so much for joining me today to talk about leadership, your experience, and how we can improve our leadership skills. Well, Megan, appreciate you having me on. It's one of my favorite topics. Yeah, great leaders always make it look so easy, but leadership, like anything else, is a skill that takes work to develop. So let's jump right in. In your own words, tell me about your career progression. How did you get to where you are today? How much time have you got? (laughs) (laughs) We have all day. It's a a long... It's a long journey. Let let me just see if I can uh, uh, simplify it a little bit. Zig Ziglar once said, success happens when opportunity and preparedness meet. Well, my road is probably different than a lot of people, but uh, I would credit a lot to a lifelong learning process. You know, and and that continues to be true. I don't think how however old you are, when you when you quit learning, then you quit uh, when you quit growing. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I went through the college, I went through the corporate world and all that sort of stuff. And, and all those sort of things uh, uh, gradually led you. But if I uh, would point to one thing uh, that helped me, it was the ability to admit that I was wrong and take responsibility for my failure. So important. I think so many people can't do that. And um you know, I, at one point, I, w- I worked many years for Eastman Chemical Company, and uh, I had to come to the realization that the reason my career wasn't progressing as I wanted to was not the company's fault. It was my fault. And I had to do some things differently. And uh, so I'd say, how did I get to where I am today? It's just continuing to be able to, to learn and to change and to uh, find new ways of doing things. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. Yeah. If you want the long version sometime, we can talk for a few hours. <laughs> yeah. A lifelong learning is something that's very important to me as well. I think when you stop learning, you, I mean, your life is pretty much over at that point. Yep. Uh, 
Well, as a friend of mine put it, when you're finished learning and growing, you're finished. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. So what does the word leadership mean to you? Probably something a little bit different than what you might expect. And I'm going to kind of turn that around. I mean, obviously, a leader is somebody who kind of, you know, sets the course, shows the way, and, and all those other cliches. But let's turn it around a little bit and ask the question, who is the leader? And I would argue that every single person that's listening to you today is a leader in some facet of their life. Yeah. So uh, whether you are the boss at work is, does, does not mean that you're not a leader. Uh, you have a family. And you may be a leader in, in the family or a leader in some aspect of the family. Maybe you don't have a family and it's just you. Well, then you're the leader of your own life. So I would argue that everybody is a leader. And as such, then you have uh, the opportunity or the ability to continue to grow and become a better leader. Yeah, I think a lot of us forget about leadership and and that we're leaders in our day-to-day -day lives and that it's a skill we use almost constantly in some way or another. I think a lot of people, they, they, they don't think of themselves as leaders in, in that way. Yeah. They just sort of think, well, you know, no, no, the leaders, that's my boss at work. Um, but actually they may come home and, and be a leader in some other aspect. Maybe they're a leader in their church or a leader in their, uh, uh, some volunteer or civic club that they're involved in or a committee that they're in charge of. Virtually everybody has is a leader in some capacity. Yeah, and I would argue that being a boss doesn't necessarily make you a leader. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, that gets into a, a later question. But... Yeah. <laughs> so what do leaders do? Well, here again, let's... Uh, abandon some of the cliches about this. You know, at one point I read an article in uh, Entrepreneur Magazine and it listed the 22 qualities of a leader. And um, I wanted to throw up. <laughs> because even if somebody possessed all 22, the question I had to ask myself was, would you follow them just because they were friendly or because, you know, they were wonky or, you know, any of the other things that... Uh, that was on that list. And I, I kept thinking, well, you know, I wouldn't follow them just because of that. So that leads to the question of why would you follow somebody? And I've sort of identified seven things that I think are important. And this is true in all aspects and facets of your life. People will follow you if, number one, they share your vision of where you're going. If you don't know where you're going, how can somebody follow you? Yep. So uh, true. There's uh you you have to have your sights on some place that you want to go, whether that's with your family or with your career or with your, your company. And number two, are they excited about your what I call your fundamental purpose or uh mission? You know, if they're not excited about what you're doing, how you're making a contribution to the world, I mean, you know, why are you in business other than to make money? If it's just to make money, there are very few people that can be motivated for very long for nothing but money. Yeah. There are some, I will admit. But if people are really excited about what you're doing and how you're contributing to your community, 
then they're going to be much more interested in following you. Yeah. I think the third thing is whether or not they share your values. And this is something, all of this, you can find out in the interview process because it really ties together with what we're going to talk about later. And that's how do you, you get and keep the right people. But uh, do they have the same values that you did? And I'm, I, there's so many different values, it's, it, it would be impossible to try to, to list here. But you have to define what yours are. And then when you're talking to prospective employees, you want to find out what theirs are. I had a, a, a friend of mine tell me one time, he said, oh, it's real easy, Roy, to find out what, what somebody's really like. He said, you just take them out and get them drunk. <laughs> I'm not advocating that. But, you know, when you're interviewing somebody, they're on good behavior, right? Yeah, they're absolutely. It's kind of like dating. You know, everybody's on their good behavior, and somewhere six to 12 months down the road, you find out what they're really like. Well, the sooner you can find out, the better. And so in that interview process, are you asking questions to, to try to determine what their values are? I think the fourth thing is, are they comfortable operating under your culture, let's put it that way, or what I call your operating principles, the way you do business at, at where you are? You know, is it robotic? Is it uh, uh, highly fluid? Is it, uh, you know, very casual? Uh, every company has a different way of doing business. I'm not talking about SOPs, but, you know, for instance, at Nordstrom, they have a, a culture of extreme customer service. And they live that every day. And, and uh, if you don't uh, subscribe to that, you're not going to fit in and you're not going to last very long. Uh, so if they're comfortable with your the way you, you operate, then they're, they're more likely to follow you. Yep. I think the fifth thing is leaders often tend to say, to give orders. And they say, well, this is what we're going to do, but they never tell why. And I think it's important to explain to the people that are following you why you've made the decision that you have. They may not agree with that decision, and that's fine. But at least they know that you had some thought process that went into it and some reasoning, and they can appreciate the fact that uh, how you came to that conclusion. I think one of the reasons some leaders don't want to say why is they, they uh, are afraid that their, their uh, followers are going to disagree with them. Hey, disagreement is a good thing. You learn nothing from somebody who agrees with you. Yeah, very true. <laughs> so I, I don't shy away from it, but at some point, if you're the leader, then you have to make a decision. I think the sixth thing uh, that's important to get for people to follow you is if they believe that you care about them. I don't think a whole lot of people are going to uh, follow or stay with an organization too long if they feel like that nobody cares. I can go, you know, COVID notwithstanding, uh, when we get back to normal, you can pretty much go to work anywhere you want. So why hang around with somebody that you don't think cares about you? Yeah, I don't think anybody wants to feel like they might be thrown under the bus. Yeah. And, and the seventh thing is, do they trust you? You know, do you do what you say that you're going to do? And I'll give you an example of that. Um, when I became the CFO for DJ Powers, I told all my staff, I expect you to make mistakes. We're all human. I make mistakes. You make mistakes. So I'm not going to hold it against you if you make a mistake. 
what I expect is that when a mistake is made that you will admit it and you will explain to me how that you're going to prevent it from happening again. And we won't have a problem. The only problem would come if you try to hide the mistake or if you keep making the same mistake over and over again. Well, to be honest with you, it, you know, I'm the I'm the the new guy in the company. It took them a while to to come to trust the fact that I was sincere in that, and uh, that I didn't hold mistakes against people, and we build up a, a level of trust. And I think when people trust you, they're much more likely to follow you. I've been gone from DJ Powers for 11 years now, and I still have very close contact with uh, a lot of the of the employees that worked for me back there. So I think that's what leaders do is they uh, they create a climate or a culture where people will want to follow you and, and they do it by doing the seven things we just talked about. Yeah, so those seven things are a good segue into the next question. So what leadership skills do you need to develop to create an atmosphere that people want to support and stay with? Well, I think, uh, and, and, and I think the, the key word here is that you can develop them. You know, we've talked, uh, the fact our, our leadership skills acquired or learned, they're, they're acquired. Nobody is born a leader. Some people have different attributes, which lend themselves, but all of us can become better leaders and all of us can improve on every aspect of our lives. So the first thing I think that you want to, to work on is your people skills and how you interact with with people. There is a million books, magazine articles, blogs, videos, and so forth on how you can do that. But I think part of that uh, also is when you create that atmosphere that people want to stay is you accept responsibility for, for your mistakes and learn from them. Listen. This is hard for me, and it always has been. Uh, but it's a, it, so it's a skill that I'm continuing to try to improve on. You know, we got two ears and one mouth, so uh, probably need to use them proportionally. But um, all too often, leaders think that they're expected to know all the answers, and so they just charge forward without inviting input from everybody else. And that's just not the case. Nobody knows everything. And so when you adopt that kind of almost dictatorial attitude, you are shutting off a huge supply of, of ideas and creativity. So continuing to, to hone in on your listening skills and improve those is, is a critical factor. Going kind of back to the, to the seven reasons people follow you, one of them uh, is that they, uh, they believe you care about them. Well, if you care about them, you're going to want to help them grow and improve and become uh, better people and better employees. I, I, had, I worked for one guy one time, and he said, well, at this company, we do not believe in training. And I did a double take, and I'm thinking to myself, no, wait a minute. You know, you want employees that uh, are inefficient, give poor customer service, you know, the whole, the whole nine yards. Well, his reasoning was he didn't want to do training because he felt like if I train them and they leave, then I've trained them for somebody else. That's backwards. That's backwards. You're exactly right. That's backwards. But if you really care about somebody, whether they stay or whether they go, you want to help them grow. 
And when you do that, people are going to be much more likely to stay with you. You know, one of the problems that small businesses have is they can't throw huge sums of money uh, in terms of salary or in terms of benefits at employees. So why would your stars stay with you if you can't pay them, you know, what they can get elsewhere? I mean, let's face it, uh, a really star employee can go anywhere, anytime they want, and pretty much name their price. You know, I'm thinking of an example of a... Uh, of a nurse who is constantly being recruited by other medical facilities because she's so good. Now, she can go anywhere she wants, and every time you know she's made a couple of changes and, and made substantially more money doing that, but she where she is right now, she's extremely happy. So why leave? So uh, you know, at some point, uh, if you're a small business, you have to have yeah, the ability to keep and retain employees is going to be dependent on you as a leader and creating a climate where they want to stay. And I think the other thing I already touched on it is uh, you got to embrace contrary opinions. You know, when I was writing my book, I had a good friend of mine. I was having dinner with him, and he, uh, I was telling him something I was going to do in the book, and uh, he was a brilliant engineer, and he said, well, Roy, I don't agree with you. And he didn't say it in a way that was judgmental or trying to be mean. He was he was expressing a contrary opinion. Well, now, what do most of us do when somebody disagrees with us? We argue. <laughs> yeah, we kind of back up. We get you know we we get defensive, and we think, huh? Well, you know, I got to thinking about what Robert had said, and I thought I still thought that what I wanted to do was correct, but what he forced me to do was to think about it and revise the way I was going to go about it. And that his disagreeing with you helped. When anytime somebody disagrees with you, if, if it doesn't force you to think about what you're trying to accomplish and how you're trying to do it, then again, you've learned nothing. So uh, I, I encourage people to embrace contrary opinions. Just because somebody disagrees with you doesn't mean you have to or do it their way. It's just another piece of input. Yeah. And I think along those same lines, good leaders recognize their shortcomings and mm-hmm. they, they know that nobody's perfect and they hire people to fill in those gaps and then empower those people. You're right. And that's, uh, I think that's another hard thing for leaders. Uh, I, I know there was uh, one company I was working with and they didn't want to pay a salesman commission. And I said, why not? <laughs> well, what if that person makes more money than the president of the company? And said, well, you know, a good salesperson will probably bring in 10 times what their salary is, which means that your company will be much more pro- prosperous. Who cares whether or not they make more money than, than the president of the company? Yeah. It's, are they getting the job done that needs to be done? Yep, Absolutely. And I, I know we've touched on this a bit, but can everyone become a better leader? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, one of my favorite uh, sayings is if uh, nothing in nature is stagnant, it's either growing or decaying. So, yeah, I mean, just like any skill, and that's a, an important point. People aren't born leaders. And they, that means that it's an acquired skill, mm-hmm. and with acquired skill, then you can constantly improve it. How do you do that? Well, yep. there's 
you know, tons of books and, and videos and blogs and all that sort of stuff out there on, uh, on leadership. And you want to kind of read as, and, and as much as you can so that you can develop your own style. But there's no substitute for experience. So how do you get experience as a leader? Well, the, one of the best ways is to go volunteer, whether it's at your church, whether it's at a civic group, uh, some nonprofit that you care about. Go and make mistakes. Learn from it. See what works and what doesn't work. You know, le leading in the volunteer organization is very different than in, than in a business setting because in a business setting, a lot of times people are going will stay because they they're getting a paycheck. In a volunteer organization, if they don't like what you're doing or how you rub them the wrong way, they'll just leave. So you you're going to learn some valuable lessons, I think volunteering and there's certainly plenty of causes out there that can can use whatever talent or skill that you have yeah and they're all looking for some sort of leadership to to help guide them mm -hmm. so what benefits will result from good leadership skills well i think the probably the most important thing is that uh, uh let's start with your family being a good leader, you're not a good leader at work and a bad leader at home or vice versa. Uh, you need to be a good leader wherever you are. As you grow and improve, let's take listening for an example, you know. Uh, are you listening to your children or are you just telling them what to do? So I think one of the benefits from growing your skills and all the things related to it, your people skills, your listening skills, is going to improve your family life. I, it's going to, in, on, in, in the business world, it's going to improve the cooperation across different business functions. When I first uh, came to DJ Powers, and this is true of almost all organizations, different business functions tend to get siloed. The, the marketing people don't understand what the accounting people are doing and blame them for all kinds of things. And the Operations people, you know, don't agree with the marketing or the accounting people, and there's all these silos. And that doesn't create great cooperation. Uh, everybody's kind of doing their own thing. I think probably my proudest achievement at DJ Powers was getting those different groups to, to uh, work together and to understand why does accounting have to do things a certain way? Well, that's the law. <laughs> and, you know, it's part of keeping you out of jail. And yes, it may seem illogical, but uh, that's the way it has to be done. And if it, uh, we're not trying to inhibit the marketing people or make the operations people lives difficult, but there are certain parameters that we have to operate in. And the same is true within their fields. Once they understood why, getting back to the why, once they understood why things had to be done and the accounting people were just as bad, they had to understand why operations had to do things a certain way or marketing did things a certain way. Uh, once they do that, then your cooperation across business functions uh, multiplies. And then we've already touched on this. I think when you take the seven reasons why people follow you, it will be key in finding the right employees and keeping your star employees because you will start developing a different mindset when you interview people normally when you're interviewing people most people they will look at what's your experience and what's your education 
Uh, that tells you some qualifications that you might have. But ask questions about that. Explain what your vision is and what your fundamental purpose is and find out if that kind of gets them excited and find out if they have the same values and explain how your company operates and uh, get a feel for whether or not they would feel comfortable in that atmosphere. When you do that, you're going to be more likely to find the right employees who hopefully also have, you know, the education and the skills and the, and the experience to fit in. I know in one case, uh, the, the company said, well, we will only hire people that have experience in our area of business, in our industry. Well, that's good and bad. And you have to recognize that. When I say it could be bad, when somebody has worked for somebody for another company, they have gotten used to doing things that way. Yeah. Now they come to your company and you don't do things that way. And it can be a problem. So sometimes, you know, you're better just hiring people right out of school and getting them to grow in, in your culture. In other cases, maybe not. So those are all things to find out to find the right employees. Keeping your star employees, I think, is 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 important. And like I say, they they uh, can pretty much go wherever they want. They're highly mobile. So, but if they share your vision and they're excited about your purpose and they have the same values and they're comfortable with the way you operate, they're much more likely to want to stay than not. And if, especially if they see a future for themselves. I think the other thing, uh, the other benefit is that you're going to make more consistent decisions, not be flipping all around because you're going to have a team around you that's going to help you. One of the best things that happened to me in my coaching business was uh, uh, having a, a fellow call me up one day and he said, you know, I, I see your website. I like what you're doing. I'd like to be a part of that. Well, it was great to have Steve to bounce ideas off of. And he didn't always agree. Uh, and that was important. So together, we were able to make uh, better decisions than I would have just on my own. And kind of a, uh, uh, and a, uh, a smaller thing is you're going to keep meetings on point. <laughs> meetings can sometimes get out of control. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and at, at one point, uh, I, w I chaired a, a volunteer advisory committee to the uh, Department of Corrections in Tennessee. And this was long before I had kind of put all this down, but I put the vision, the, the purpose, and, and everything uh, on a, uh, had a big banner made. And I would have hung it on the wall at every meeting. And when the meetings got off on a tangent, I would just point over to that banner and say, well, is this consistent? with what we say we're trying to accomplish and how we're trying to accomplish it. And it always brought the discussion right back on point and uh, get away from some of the war stories. <laughs> some great advice. <laughs> so, Roy, are there any stories about leadership, either good or bad, yours or somebody else's, that have stuck out in your mind as pivotal moments throughout your life? Well, you know, the bad ones always stick out more than the good ones. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I want to give you just a couple of examples that uh, that happened in my career. I got a promotion uh, when I was with Eastman, and my boss said, okay, well, now that you've, uh, you know, moved up to this next level, he said, more is expected of you. 
And I said, okay, what more? Well, he said, more. I, I said, yeah, but <laughs> I, I can't hit a target that just says Margaret. You know, I mean, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And, you know, I want to do the best job possible. But if you're telling me I need to do more, I need to know what that is. Well, he never could define that. And I found that very frustrating. I think another thing that um, is very demotivational is when a leader takes credit for somebody else's ideas. Yeah, absolutely. It it really it really uh, kills the motivation, and your and people will, will quit coming up with ideas. Uh, why should I? Because uh, you know that person's going to take credit, and sometimes they do it without realizing it. I had a situation once where, you know, I would recommend something. It would be rejected. That's fine. And then three, four, five months later, the boss would say, hey, this is, I got this idea. This is what we're going to do. And I'm thinking, that's, just, that's what I proposed to you. <laughs> I don't think he even remembered that conversation. But yet for me, it was very demotivational because I knew that I had recommended to him, and now he's touting it as a great idea. So if you want to kill people's motivation, why uh, take credit for their idea? Yeah. And another one was, uh, I was, we had an annual performance evaluation at Eastman, and they had, you know, five categories. I can't remember them all, but it was like exceptional, very good, satisfactory, below satisfactory, poor, and so forth. Well, you know, being an ambitious young man, I'm, I'm, I'm shooting for exceptional. I want to do everything I can to get the top rating. And I sat down with my boss, and he, he started the conversation by saying. No one is exceptional. I never give that rating. And I thought, well, wait a minute. What am I busting my tail for if I can't possibly attain what is on the evaluation? So I think you have to be sensitive to the kinds of things, and and this is important in leadership, that are going to demotivate people. And a lot of times all you got to do is think back in your own experience and what demotivated you. True. Um, and you will you will very quickly come to the realization. And I, I, I recommend this. You know, after after I uh, uh, left Eastman and, and was looking for a job, uh, I made a, a sheet up and I said, all right, this is my leadership style. This is what I believe in. And if I come to work for your company, this is how I would uh, approach things. I think it's a good idea for your listeners to sit down and decide that. And that's a living document. That doesn't mean it's set in stone for the rest of your life. You're going to, as you grow and learn, you're going to come up with new and better ideas on how to do things. But defining who you are and how you approach leadership will be a great benefit to you. And who knows, uh, may come in handy sometime if you're uh, interviewing for a a management-type position. So lay out a clear path share credit and give credit and make sure you know what motivates your employees and on the other hand what will demotivate them yeah and i think that's where you know developing your people skills come in handy because different people are motivated by different things absolutely i'll give you an example the uh when i was at eastman i worked with a lot of engineers so i came to understand how they uh, work and think. And my brother is an engineer, so they're very analytical. And they generally will take quite a while to digest the information before making a decision. 
for instance, my, my brother lives in California, so my mother had flown out and, and spent about a month out there with him. And she came back and she said, I think there's something wrong with your brother. And I said, what do you mean? She said, well, he, he took three weeks to analyze whether to buy a tea kettle to heat water to make tea. And he was, you know, analyzing all kinds of metal strengths and heat conductivity and all that sort of stuff. And I, I said, Mom, just relax. That's just the way engineers are. Yeah. Well, when I went to work at DJ Powers, the, the, the owner was an engineer. And so I knew from experience how to get things done. You just you put something in front of them with the facts and figures, give them time, they will think about it, and they come to the obvious decision because the numbers point in that direction. And I remember the import manager came up to me and he said, said, Roy, how have you been able to get him to, to, to do that? I've been recommending that for years. Well, engineers do not make emotional decisions. They are swayed by logical facts and figures. Other people may be more uh, swayed by emotional things. So understanding and uh, how, how your people can think and what might motivate them is all part of developing your people skills. So all of those sorts of things, I think, are going to help you become a better leader. Yep. Roy, this has been a great discussion. Thank you so much for your time today. Oh, well, thank you for having me, Megan. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, I really enjoyed hearing your stories and great advice on how we can become better leaders. To all of our listeners today, I hope you have enjoyed today's discussion as well, and I hope you'll tune in next week. Until then, take care of yourselves and have a great week. If you're ready to boost efficiency and streamline your accounting processes at significant cost savings, it's time to talk with Personiv. Their people-powered solutions have transformed the delivery of back office tasks and general accounting functions for decades, partnering with clients to provide everything from accounts payable to payroll services. See what Personiv can do for you by visiting personiv.com. You've been listening to CFO Weekly presented by Personiv. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to hear all of our episodes. Want to learn more? Check out personive.com. Thanks for listening.